Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have an entrepreneur that has an amazing journey. I mean, he's been around the block in corporate. He's been around the block as an entrepreneur in projects that took off, projects that perhaps didn't perform as he had expected. And I think that we're going to be learning a lot. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Tim Sheehan. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. Nice to be here. So born and raised in Northern Virginia, right outside of D.C. So how was life growing up there? Oh, it was great. Yeah, um, it was a uh, lot of um, academics and and government uh, workers, a lot of families, um, you know, where the parents worked uh, for the government or, or uh, worked for one of the local universities. Um, my mom was a math professor at one of the universities and, and my dad, uh, uh, worked in the government. Um, but it was a great place to, to grow up. So did you have like anyone in the family that was a very much like a small business owner or entrepreneur, or do you think that maybe that drive you developed it uh, later? You know, I, I didn't, I, I remember learning along the way that, um, you know, I can't remember the exact moment, but I, I remember learning that, uh, kind of a, a corporate job was, was not what I wanted to do because when I studied where all the wealth was, uh, all the wealth was concentrated, um, among essentially, uh, investors or, you know, families with investments. So the money was in investments. And so that kind of drew me to learning about investing and about learning about financial services. And, you know, my dad had bought me a Commodore 64 when I was young and I just, I just became attached to the hip with that thing. I just uh, spent all my free time uh, working on that computer and taught myself to program in basic and Pascal and, uh, just, um, <laughs> uh, had a, had a good time, uh, with it and just, um, you know, really had a love and, and, and strong interest in technology. And, and then over time I started developing this, 
interest in investing in financial services. And so as far back as I can remember, I can remember being really, really interested in technology and then later in, in financial services. And obviously for you, I mean, after you got your undergrad and, and you also did your master's degree, your big break was with Paul Allen. I mean, probably the people that are listening might uh, remember him from from one of the uh, founders of uh, Microsoft. So, so how was working with Paul Allen? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, fantastic. I remember how generous he was. Um, uh, of course, he's he's passed away now, but he um, he was an incredibly generous person. I, I just remember that. But the the startup he uh, started and funded uh, was called Starwave. And um, it was in Seattle, and so I moved across the country, uh, you know, from from DC to Seattle, and uh, we we built ESPN.com, NFL.com, NBA.com, NASCAR.com, a bunch of sports websites that that Paul and the team had negotiated uh, partnerships with the with the leagues, you know, slash associations, um, and. Uh, and he just, you know, he would, what I mean by generous is he was, he would have the whole, whole company over to his house, uh, which was really an estate, um, <laughs> uh, every Monday night, you know, to use his sports complex. Um, cause he had this amazing full indoor back, uh, basketball court, full indoor tennis courts, uh, uh, a pool that looked like it was from Walt Disney world and just, uh, anyways. And, and then he would take us on trips to go down, fly from the very short flight from, uh, Seattle to Portland to watch the trailblazers play. And, uh, I, anyways, I just remember him being, a, a, an incredible, uh, brilliant person, but also incredibly generous. That's incredible. So, so obviously for you, uh, after this, you, you kind of like really, it took a deep dive into corporate and, and you started, you know, helping the guys at E-Trade, uh, then Yahoo, it taking that from zero to a hundred million in no time. So I guess from, from your experience at E-Trade or maybe Yahoo, I mean, what were some of your takeaways? Yeah. You know, uh, after Disney acquired Starwave and, and so I went to help uh, launch E-Trade, um, and, and that was, that was a fantastic experience and uh, learned, learned a lot. And um, then getting to work at Yahoo on Yahoo Finance was, was also incredible. Just some really brilliant people uh, there in the early days of Yahoo. Um, and uh, gosh, you know, I, I got the chance to try and, and make mistakes and learn and, you know, work with brilliant people Um so I think, you know, my days at Yahoo were, uh, you know, particularly amazing um, just because I learned so much in the time that I was there. Um, you know, I think I, I spent a little over three years there and, you know, felt like I learned more than 10 years worth of, of, uh, of things. Uh, so it was really uh, quite an experience. And, and um, yeah, I think I, I learned... Uh, really from all of those things that I did, I learned how to create compelling consumer products, um, you know, especially consumer tech products. And that was, that was my specialty. That was what I was good at. Um, I, uh, you know, 
like anything, everything I've worked on, it's always with a team, you know, it's never a single person. And uh, so being able to work well with a team to create something amazing where, where everybody on that team contributes something unique or a great idea. Um, it, it's quite a lot of fun. And, you know, cause the, the best ideas don't come from, you know, say just the product manager, you know, sometimes it's the engineers, sometimes it's the marketing people, sometimes it's a customer service person, sometimes it's a customer. Uh, and, and so you just have to have an open mind to, uh, wherever the great idea comes from, if it's better than your idea, you, you have to be willing to quickly uh, accept it, move on to that, and and make that the, the plan. Um, so I, I, I've learned so many things, probably too many to, to list, but um, those, those days of being able to create uh, compelling consumer tech products, I, I learned a ton. And, and then at Yahoo, I started to learn also, you know, how to, uh, not only create the compelling product, but, uh, run a business too, where, so you're, you're trying to not only build up usage, but you're also trying to drive revenue and profits. Um, and, uh, so as I said, I just learned a ton there. And then after this, you went to Jodely to try to do the turnaround. So what, what does a turnaround look like and, and how was this experience for you? Uh, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever done. Uh, I think I think a turnaround is so much harder than uh, starting a startup from scratch um, because you're you know you're having to do like things like layoffs and you're you're having to um, uh, kind of maybe redefine products, uh, you know, find ways to drive revenue or um, cut cost out of, um, out of, a, a product's cogs. Um, you're, you're trying to do so many things at the same time that all have a very high degree of difficulty that, um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, doing a turnaround is extremely hard, but, um, good news is Yodely, uh, did get on the right track and, uh, uh, ended up doing quite well and, uh, ultimately was acquired by InvestNet um i think just uh, a couple years ago and obviously talking about putting out fires i mean you went from putting out fires in a turnaround to putting out fires for yourself because this was the segue to starting your own baby attributor yeah yeah we we started attributor which was uh digital fingerprinting technology um so it essentially could find copies of content on the internet so uh, like Reuters and AP um, would would hire a attributor to find out if you know it, it, were there any copies of their articles or of their of their images or photographs or their videos on the internet, and um, that's that's what a attributor did was essentially have a unique way of of essentially finding copies of content uh, anywhere on the internet, and um, Digimark ended up acquiring a attributor. Um, and, and then from there I went and, uh, worked on seven degrees, which became reachable. I, I, uh, ran products strategy and marketing for, for a unit of Fiserv. Um, and then, uh, and then finally I kind of took a break and had some fun by, uh, serving as an entrepreneur in residence at, 
at Georgia Tech's Advanced Technology Development Center. It's essentially their their startup incubator. Um, and uh, that was a ton of fun. I got to uh, get plugged into the whole Atlanta entrepreneurial scene. And, um, and it was fun helping other entrepreneurs and trying to share with them, you know, a lot of the things that I had learned the, the hard way. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, and while I was doing that, I also was thinking about, you know, what I might do next. So, uh, obviously next is green light, which is your, your biggest success to date. But before we actually talk about this, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are perhaps going to benefit, you know, if, if, if you don't mind, you know, like talking about some of the pattern recognition that you got from working at Georgia Tech at the incubator. And maybe because here it's very early stages. I mean, you're dealing with, for the most part, like ideas or an idea with a roadmap or with some form of maybe even an MVP. But what were you able to really see uh, from the perhaps the ideas that had legs and that ended up doing something and becoming something from those other ideas that perhaps ended up on the in the toilet yeah that's a good question uh you know the the biggest thing so by far the biggest thing uh that uh, or the you know most common piece of advice i found myself giving i probably i probably sent it you know 50 times every day to to different entrepreneurs was um uh, what would happen is entrepreneurs, we, we often are in love with our idea, uh, our, our product, our, whether, you know, the technology of it or the, or the product itself. And we want to tell everybody, you know, about our idea. And, uh, really that's the wrong thing to focus on. Uh, the right thing to focus on is the problem that exists in the market. And what proof do you have that it actually exists, objectively speaking? Uh, so, you know, it, rather than, uh, you know, we want to we want to talk about entrepreneurs. We want to talk about the solution because we've maybe got the solution in our head or maybe we've even built a prototype of it. Um, so we want to jump immediately to tell you all about the solution. But um, we don't want to and often we don't spend enough time on the uh, problem or the, you know, opportunity that exists in the market and studying that close enough, uh, to actually have, you know, some proof essentially that, um, you know, going and spending, you know, on average seven years of your life on this thing is going to be worth it because one, the market is there for it. Uh, two, the market is large and, uh, Three, um, you know, people are willing to pay for, you know, either to fix the problem or to, um, uh, you know, basically pay for, for a solution um, to whatever it is that you've identified in the market. And so that, that was the main thing is, is I, would, I would usually have to stop entrepreneurs and just go, you know, hold on a sec. You can, you can tell me about your idea or your, your solution later. First, tell me about what the problem is that you're solving in the market and, and what proof you have, uh, convince me that the problem, you know, what proof do you have that it actually exists in the market? Um, you know, do you have any data? Do you have any research? What, what do you, what do you know for a fact, uh, that, that can, you know, help convince me that, 
this problem really does exist in the market and it's worth you going and spending all, all of your time, you know, for many years on this. Uh, so that was the, that was the most common thing that I would, uh, end up talking to entrepreneurs about. And, um, it was, it was quite hilarious because they, they would, they might start to talk about the problem for like a few seconds, but then within, within a minute, they would bring it back to talking about the, their solution or their idea. Um, so it's, it's a very hard thing to break, but it's, um, it's incredibly important. Otherwise you, you really could end up wasting a large chunk of your time building something that, you know, either, uh, is a nice to have, that's probably the most common mistake, uh, which is you built something that's nice to have, uh, for people. Um, but it's not must have, it's not something that people must have, which is very different. Um, and so, uh, you want to make sure that the pain in that you've, you know, the pain or the problem you've identified in the market is not kind of, uh, a, a scratch. You want to make sure it's, it's a flesh wound. It's like something very serious that they, um, are already trying to solve on their own um, because the pain or the problem is is important or significant enough that they're they're trying to solve it today just in a suboptimal way and you have a better way to solve it um, or uh, um, you have some you know you have some reason to believe that this is a uh, this is a very painful problem and that many 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 people in the market, um, have that problem. So anyways, that's, that's, uh, often the stuff that I would, uh, try to explain to, to entrepreneurs when I was coaching them. Got it. So then tell us about green light, because here you are listening to ideas, seeing startups left and right launching. And at what point, you know, did you say, I'm, I'm going to go at it myself now? Yeah, I think, um, it was uh, had been in the been thinking about it. Had been uh, talking with some some friends who ended up being co founders, and um, it was uh, really. I have four kids, and my co founders have kids as well, and um, and then we went and talked to a whole bunch of parents that we didn't know um, who also were having similar problems, but. Um, essentially the problem was that, uh, most, uh, parents like, like most adults were not carrying cash as frequently as they used to in the past, um, because they were using their debit cards and credit cards for, for all of their transactions, all of their purchases. And so, uh, we, we kind of identified that problem, which was, parents still had a need to give their kids money for different reasons, whether it was a school field trip or a traveling sports team, or, um, you know, maybe just going, uh, out to get a snack or a movie with friends. Um, there were lots of different, you know, might be an allowance. There were lots of different reasons why a parent may be giving their kids some money. Um, and yet they weren't carrying cash in their wallets. And so, uh, that problem was quite, uh, prevalent and, um, people were trying to solve it in different ways, but nobody was really solving it well. Um, and so we, we detected that problem in the market and that's where we started. So we, 
built the the first version of Greenlight to solve that problem. And then in talking to our customers and in talking to parents, we realized, you know, they not only wanted us to solve that specific problem, but they also wanted their kids to learn to be smart about money in general. They wanted them to learn about personal finance in general so that when they're out on their own as young adults, they can manage their finances and, um, you know, manage their financial lives successfully. And, uh, so that's what led to really the vision, uh, for Greenlight and, and what, what is still our mission today, which is, uh, to help parents raise financially smart kids. So in this case, so what, what ended up being the early days? Like, like what did you guys do next? Yeah, we, we, uh, Gosh, we did customer discovery where we we interviewed parents uh, to try to understand, you know, what what kind of uh, problems they were having. So that you know that was all part of validating the problem in the market. Um, we did um, uh, price testing and analysis to determine you know what was the optimal price to charge um, and what kind of what would the market bear. We uh, we spent tons of time talking to customers about um, you know what it was that they wanted their kids to learn. Um, we learned things like you know when they're quite young, they they wanted to uh, make sure the kids understood money doesn't grow on trees. You can't just kind of continuously ask for it. You know you have to work for it. You have to earn it. Um, so that led to us building. Uh, chores tracking and allowances uh, into the product. Um, we learned that you know they wanted them to learn to make trade-off decisions and to save their money. Uh, so we built savings goals tracking and uh, uh, also parent paid interest so the parents could incentivize the kids to save. Um, we heard a lot from parents that they wanted their kids to learn to give back. And so we built the giving component into Greenlight as well. So the kids could give to charities and nonprofits. Um, we, uh, you know, we just learned so many, we learned investing that, you know, that's, that's how the, um, you actually build wealth for the long term is learning how to invest. And so, um, we've been building, uh, in the investing component, um, for most of this year and it's about to launch now. So the kids will be able to learn how to invest, um, which is quite exciting. Uh, so we just really, um, did a lot of, uh, research and then also, uh, just stayed close to our customers, both, you know, watching the usage of various features and, you know, the data patterns, but also talking to them, um, to try to get some more color on on how they viewed things, um, we did tons of marketing tests to see what would work best and in which channels um, to fully get marketing performing well. Um, that was one thing I was mentioning to you earlier. Was you know after all these things I've done, I, I think there are three things that you have to get right uh, for a um, successful startup and you know, one, uh, they're, they're, I think they're very obvious, but, um, you got to get the product, right. You got to get the marketing, right. And you have to have the funding and you're, you're kind of always raising money as a startup. You're always running out of money and you're always fundraising. Uh, and so I would say to all the entrepreneurs out there, don't, 
don't fret like every every company you know from uh the successful public ones like Netflix to to Greenlight to any other startup you know you're when when you're uh in hyper growth mode and you're small you're always raising money and you're always you're always low on cash and that's just kind of how it is um and i think we've all i think all startups almost run out of cash you know even the um very very successful companies probably had a few times where they uh, i know we did with greenlight where you almost run out of cash um and you have to be willing as I'm sure a ton of the entrepreneurs listening to this are, are uh, you have to be willing to work sometimes for no salary and uh, and really commit yourself uh, to to building the business that that you've set out to to build and and you know it's uh, in those early days there's not a lot of cash yet because you haven't really uh, proven a lot to attract a lot of investment from from investors and so. Um, you know, that's, that's a particularly difficult time, but if you can, if you can get through it and you can generate enough metrics and unit economics to prove that the business is, you know, strong and the market is large, uh, then, you know, you'll, you'll, the investors will, will probably, uh, probably come. Absolutely. So for the folks that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Greenlight? How do you guys make money? It's really, there's really two main revenue streams. One is the subscription fee. So it's, it's $4.99 per family per month. Um, that's, so that's the subscription fee is the first revenue stream. And the second one is uh, interchange revenue essentially associated with the card swipes. Um, so it's the the interchange that merchants pay um, to, you know, Visa, MasterCard, and the issuing banks, and um, and we get a we get a cut of that as well. And obviously, a uh, business like this requires capital. So, how much money have you guys raised today? Oh my goodness! Uh, let's see. So now, with our Series C that we just finished, um, where we. Uh, where we raised uh, 215 million um i think it's got to be uh it's got to be close to 300 uh now and um it's uh yeah as i mentioned you know you you don't get that, you don't get that kind of investment uh right out of the gate you know you you tend to get maybe some angel investors to come in first and then maybe you do a seed round or a series a where you raise maybe 5 million. Uh, and then, you know, from there you kind of proceed. And if, if, uh, if things are going very well and the company is growing very fast in terms of customers and revenue, um, and if the investors like what they see on the unit economics and they, they like the growth rate they're seeing, uh, you know, you'll, 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 there'll be opportunity to raise your series B and your series C. Um, so that you can you can actually you know achieve escape velocity and uh crossover into um profitability and you know hopefully continuing that uh very fast growth but now starting to generate free cash flow and profits as you do as you uh, as you continue to grow and and in your case i mean 
just to get a sense of, of how big Greenlight is today, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of numbers, employees, or anything? Uh, sure, yeah. We, we have 2 million customers. We, we have... Um, we are growing about 300% year over year in terms of customers and revenue. Um, the profit mar- gross profit margin is, is quite high, uh, which is, which is nice. Um, and yeah, we're just essentially choosing, you know, the, the path of high growth, uh, right now. Um, if we were to take our marketing spend down, then, then we could be profitable, um, but we're really going after this market, this whole kind of family finance category that we that we discovered. Um, we're just going after after it aggressively and uh, um, going to you know continue uh, to to grab that land you know while while it's there. And when we're talking about the market here, I mean, where, where do you think the market is heading as a whole? Uh, do you mean the the stock market or or uh, no your space your space I mean wh- where are you guys heading I mean where do you think oh, the oh, the space yeah. you know is heading as a whole and what's in store as well for Greenlight Yeah I think the um, this this whole category family finance category I think it's it's uh, we've only really just started to tap the beginning I think um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in this whole area. Of, of family finance. And I think, um, you'll see, you know, additional products coming from us. Um, I think you'll see, you know, so we'll, we'll continue the growth of the existing product, but I think you'll see some new products from us. Um, you might see us, uh, enter some other markets outside the U S. Uh, I think, I think there's still tons of, uh, tons of growth left. Very cool. And uh, I mean, it's it's amazing the the journey, uh, Tim, that that you've had in your career. I mean, you've been around the block. I mean, corporate startups, turnarounds. I mean, you name it. If you had, let's say, the opportunity to go back in time and have a chat with your younger self, maybe that younger Tim that was thinking about launching a company, you know, right before Attributor, which was your first business, knowing what you know now, what would be that one piece of business advice? that you would give to your younger self before launching a company and why? Uh, I think it would be that, you know, find, find the right co-founders. Um, because one thing I've learned with Greenlight is, you know, building this business with, um, my, my co-founders, it, 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 you know, Johnson Cook, John Hagelgens, um, especially those two, uh, we really complemented each other and continue. Um, Johnson and I kind of uh, are, are running the company together today, um, where he's COO and I'm CEO. The The partnership that we have is, I think, allowed us to achieve a lot of the success that we have. So I think I would I think I would say, Hey, Tim, uh, as, as smart and capable as you are, um, find the right person to partner with, uh, who is strong in the areas that you're weak. And that could be the, that could be the ticket to, uh, uh, to, a to a big success. I love it. 
I mean, without a doubt, picking your co-founder right is going to be a make it or break it. I think that over 67% of companies fail because of co-founder issues. So I couldn't agree more with, with what you're saying here, Tim. So for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, they can shoot me an email if they want to, uh, tim at greenlight.me, um, is probably the easiest. Fantastic. Well, Tim, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.